Father, thank you for Jesus, that he laid down his life. He paid our ransom. And we just said, we want to rid ourselves. We want to offer ourselves to you. We ask you to lead us to your heart and to the cross. Teach us today and this week what that means. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. See. Good morning. We, uh, we have the great honor and privilege and pleasure of observing communion this morning. If, uh, if you haven't already gotten the elements or in the back of the church, feel free to get up now and, and uh, go back and get those. The Lord's Table here at Conroe Bible Church is open uh, to every believer. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are welcome to... Uh, participate in the Lord's table today here. Um, parents, we invite you to lead your children in worship in this time of worship. And I would like to focus this morning on the goodness and loving kindness of God. As believers, before we entered into the family of God, this is before we were believers, Titus 3 says in verse 3, once we, too, were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil, and we hated each other. That was the condition before we came, became believers. What a picture of that person is. Here's the good part. In verse 4 through 7, it says, But God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. It was out of the goodness and loving kindness of God that Jesus came. He came to save us from our sin so that we would no longer be separated from God by our sin, and then we actually became heirs so that we will inherit eternal life. Think about that. We are his children, just like Christ is his son. We are now part of the family of God. And God, because of his goodness and love, made that provision for us through the shed blood of Christ. And Jesus willingly suffered death on the cross to make that payment for us. I want to take a few moments and time of meditation and prayer. Um, consider the truth of that scripture. Consider the amazing goodness and loving kindness of God. The state in which we were in before our relationship with Christ. giving thanks for the privilege of being a child of God.
So if you would, um, get your elements ready, get your bread ready. Uh, you have to peel the bread out. If you would, hold that in your hand. 1 Corinthians 11:26 says, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray. Lord God Almighty, I just thank you so much for your provision for us. Thank you for your love and goodness, Father, toward us and the way that you poured out that on behalf of each one of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing and able to go to the cross, to pay that penalty for us, for the breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood. And we just praise you and honor you and thank you for that. And so we commit this time this morning, Father, to you and pray that this time of remembrance might honor you in your sight. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. First Corinthians, so... Uh, you have the bread, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24 says, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as you take the bread in remembrance. So get your cup ready, peel the top back. First Corinthians eleven twenty five says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance. Father, we do this in remembrance of you and of what you accomplished for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name, amen. Sunshine kids are dismissed. Parents, if you want to um, follow them out and meet the teachers, feel free to do that. having to remember things I don't normally have to remember on Sunday morning. <clears throat> like, turn on your mic. Have you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Anybody haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia? Chronicles of Narnia? All right. We're going to briefly go through the entire story <laughs> to catch you up because I want to talk about the very last book. Not, uh, not really. You probably know a little bit about it. Um, how, how can you really be a Christian and not know? <laughs> C.S. Lewis wrote them. It's like everybody, it's a, the modern day Christian hero. <clears throat> Narnia is a place, um, fictional place that C.S. Lewis invented to tell stories um, that tied back to his uh, the way he viewed Jesus, the way he viewed God and truth and reality. Um, and in that story, uh, is uh, the central character is Aslan, the great lion, the Jesus figure of Narnia. And uh, what you get to experience as a reader, which these are kids' books, um, and uh, I, highly I highly recommend them for, for non-kids. Um, but Aslan is this figure that when he shows up in the stories, um, it's always good. When Aslan gets there, there's peace that comes with it. There's relief that comes from it. Um, when Aslan is present, um, all things are right. Um, and uh, and every, every story, every adventure has that consistent element. When Aslan shows up, it's good. It's always good. 
the last book is hard to read. Um, not, not, a, not a reading level hard to read. It's hard to read because that's not how the last book goes. The last book starts with this character uh, named Shift. He's an ape. And Shift lives next door um, to a very dim-witted donkey named Puzzle. And Shift and Puzzle uh, work together like, I, I think of like an old grumpy married couple. Um, they get along and it's terrible and Shift is really pretty manipulative and um, Puzzle always thinks it's his fault because he's just dim-witted. And they go down to get some water one morning and they stumble across something that they've never seen before. Because at this point in time in Narnia, nobody's seen Aslan for hundreds of years. They come across a lion's skin. And Shift guesses maybe there was a hunter that took out a wild lion and he skinned him and just left it. But he has an idea. And what his idea includes is taking that skin and sewing it together so that he can put it on puzzle and let Narnia know that Aslan has returned. And as you might could predict, um, chaos ensues. Even though it's been a couple hundred years since Aslan's been around, people remember. They remember Aslan. They remember the goodness. They have stories that they tell that they passed on to their kids and their kids' kids. <clears throat> but this Aslan is different. He won't see people. The only time this Aslan comes out is at night, and he comes out in front of a fire so that you can only see the silhouette, and nobody gets to approach him and talk to him. You have to talk to the mouthpiece of Aslan. And that's the role that Shift assumes for himself. So everything changes in Narnia. It makes it hard to read because you know as a reader when, when this guy shows up, everything's good. And right now, it's just spiraling into chaos. At some point, um, Tyrion, the last king of Narnia, figures out that this is a big sham. And with some help of some people from our world, manages to rescue Puzzle out of this, this role of playing the fake Aslan. And so Tyrion has the idea to reveal this now, the truth, the falseness of this Aslan to the world, because this will fix everything. And you know what? It doesn't. Damage had already been done because of the false Aslan. There were some people that were relieved to find out that this is not the real Aslan, that this, we've all been taken. There were some people that were so wounded by being fooled that they said, I don't care. There was a particular group of dwarves that were angry about it. And so when Tyrion's trying to convince them of the truth that this is not the real Aslan, the real Aslan is the one we've been telling stories about, they say, we've already been taken in once. We're not about to be taken in again. Finding out the truth didn't solve the problem. Damage had already been done. We live in a world that is chaotic. It's full of falsehoods. It's full of lies. There are schemes. There are talking heads. There are agendas. We are surrounded by misinformation about Jesus. And that plays into our realities of what we understand about this. And one of the things that I love about this series, the Hello, My Name is Jesus series, is we are going back and re-addressing characteristics of who our Savior is characteristics that may have been twisted, that we may have fallen for. And when we learn something new, we find out that we're one of these three types. We're the type that is relieved to find out that's not really how he is. Or maybe that we're the type that just no longer cares. And we realize that about ourselves. Or maybe we're the type that's just angry about it. But that's what we're going to continue today. And our passage is going to be in John 15, and it's just four verses. But before we get to John 15, no, take that down. <clears throat> um, before we get there, I want to walk up to it because this is in the context of a much, a much bigger scenario. Um, and it's in, uh, I said it's in John 15, but the book of John tells, the gospel of John tells about these miracles that Jesus did. 
one miracle after the next. Um, and crazy things are happening. He's healing blind men. He's feeding thousands of people with almost nothing. He makes, it able, he makes uh, healing available to a, a paralytic that couldn't jump in this pool. Jesus is doing miraculous things. And when we get into chapter 13, chapter 13 begins that it was the night of the Passover. You know, what we just celebrated in communion, this is what this story right here is about. The night of the Passover when Jesus sits down with his 12 disciples. <clears throat> and there are some amazing things that happen um, in that little stint. We're not going to read it. I'm just going to skim through it so you can f flip through or flick through whatever it is that you, whatever, if you've got a digital Bible. Um, but when we start in 13... Jesus begins this time with them by washing their feet, which is a, a bit remarkable to me. And I think that it was to them. Because all of a sudden, the guy in charge, the one that they call master, the one that they follow around, he has prepared himself to cleanse them. And there's a really comical bit with Peter. You know, Peter's the, the one that always says goofy things, and we all love him because of it. Um, and Peter says, you're not, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, uh, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. And Peter says, well, then wash all of me. Wash all of me. And Jesus has to remind him, uh, when you're already clean, you just need your feet washed. So I'm, I'm just going to do the feet. But he washes his feet, and then he sits down, and they're, having this, they're sharing this meal together. Um, I'm going to bet that they didn't have to open cups like we did, um, but they're sharing a meal together. <clears throat> and I'm going to guess, I don't know this, so you can uh, call me a heretic if you want, but I'm going to guess that they're talking. They're talking about things. And then Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. I'm going to bet that that took the air out of the room because we're talking about 13 guys sitting together. 13 guys sitting together and the guy in charge who has everybody's attention because he just washed everybody's feet and they didn't expect it says, one of you is going to betray me. What do you think that moment might have been like? I'm going to guess nobody breathed for a second. And I'm going to guess the first thing that ran through most of their heads was, I hope he's not talking about me. I'm going to bet that for some of them, it was a moment of terror. And finally, one of them says, who is it? And Jesus says, it's, it's the one that I'm going to hand this piece of bread to. So there's 11 guys that I'm going to guess, their, their insides tensed up when he hands this to Judas. And then he tells him, what it is that you're going to do, go do it right now. And he gets up and he leaves. So now our context is 11. It's Jesus and the 11. Peter once again puts his foot in his mouth. He says, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is trying to tell them again, I'm leaving. I'm going to be leaving soon. And, and uh, Peter says, uh, Lord, why can't I follow you? This is the end of chapter 13. Why can't I follow you? I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, will you? I think that before the rooster crows, you're going to have denied me three times. Did you know, do you know that that's the verse that happens right before he says, let not your heart be troubled? I'm going to guess that this is alarming to say to Peter, you're going to deny me. Because we just had this moment in which he said, one of you is going to betray me. Now one of you is going to deny me, and it's going to be you. <clears throat> I'm going to bet by this point in the meal, nobody's talking anymore. I bet people are, I bet they're afraid. I'm next. What am I going to do? <clears throat> And nothing like that happens. Jesus goes on to continue telling them um, about the things that the Father has revealed to him throughout, the chapter, throughout chapter 14. He even tells them that when I leave, I'm going to send one that will help you. 
This isn't the first time Jesus has said this stuff to them. He said this stuff before, and they've not gotten it. He says close to the end of 14, these things I'm speaking to you while I'm here present. They're still not getting this. He's going away. The beginning of 15, he's telling them, he's giving them instruction for what life is going to be like once I'm gone. You abide in me and the things that I've taught you, and you'll bear much fruit. So that lands us right here where I want, I want to read um, in, in chapter 15, and it's down in verse 12 through 15. He says, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is not the first time. This is, I actually thought I would go and count up how many times Jesus said this and John recorded it. Just John, not the other gospel, but just John. I gave up. It's a lot. He said it a lot. You love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. This is the first time that Jesus tells them that there is friends. At least it's the first time that it's recorded. There's only a couple of times in the whole Bible that Jesus or God refers to people as friends. Moses and Abraham were. And you know what was consistent between Moses and Abraham and these guys right in this moment? They're being allowed in to what's going on. God is up to something and he's telling them what he's up to. Now they don't get it and he's been trying to tell them for a while, which is what makes this moment special to me. It's not the first time he's asked them to love one another. It's not the first time he's told them that he's going to lay his life down. It's not the first time he's told them that he's going to go and where he's going, they can't follow. But still, they're not getting it. So Jesus sits them down, shares a meal with them, and tells them that they are his friends. I'm going to guess the atmosphere in this room was people, maybe for the first time, they were listening Not just hearing him say stuff, but they were listening to him. I think we can see three things in this um, that help us understand the way Jesus thought about friendship. Now, I actually think there are more than three. I'm just only going to poke at three of them. Um, And I think that, uh, that we can also see that there are at least three things that harm how we view Jesus as a friend. I'm going to start there. The things that harm the way we we view Jesus um, when it comes to friendship is that we have a pretty shallow view of friends these days. It won't surprise you for me to say that, right? You probably already feel that way. And the reason is we've reduced friendship down to a few things that are really shallow. We call people friends and our only overlap in life with them is to ask them how they're doing. It's not that that's bad, but this was more. What that is is a status update, right? I can, I can put that on Facebook and then you have that information. Like I can say, um, I should have thought of an example before now because I would never do this. Um, just got a coffee at Starbucks. You're never going to see me there. Um, I, I don't hate Starbucks. I just would don't want to stand in line. And now you know. How's my friend Chris doing? He's got, he just got his Starbucks. Um, and we call that friendship. We ask people how they're doing. They give us the, you know, the 30,000 foot view on how life is. And we call that friendship. That's not what these guys did with Jesus. They were walking with him. They saw these things happen. They were involved. He was involved. There wasn't just the interaction of your status update. Another thing that harms how we view Jesus as a friend 
<clears throat> as we reduce friendship today down to a what is, in, what is in this for me relationship. And if that person doesn't have something to offer to enrich my life, then we're not going to be friends. Now, I'm going to come back to this point in a little bit. Um, but that harms how we view friendship. And you probably uh, might initially disagree with me. Why do I need people like that in my life? Here's the hint. Jesus picked these guys. And they were buffoons. Like, I, like we don't know a whole lot about most of them. But we know a lot about Peter. Now, who picks that guy? Jesus. I like to say I have two types of friends in my life. I have the type that enrich my life and being with them invigorates and energizes me. And then I have people that seem to suck the soul out of me. I'm committed to both of them. A third thing that happens that we think um, that harms, our or harms how we view uh, Jesus as a friend is that our friends hurt us. Have you ever been hurt by a friend? I have. And I'll tell you, I think wounds from friends are among the hardest wounds in life to get past. We expect them to be different. Why does this affect how we view Jesus? The same reason that not having a good father figure affects how we view God. We want to tell people that he's a loving God cares about the details of your life, knows the number of hairs on your head. And if a person's experience, if the story that they were exposed to was full of lies and chaos, it's hard to come back from that and view Jesus or view, view God as a, as a loving father. Many of us have friends that have hurt us. We've hurt, we've hurt other people. And then we say, Jesus can be a friend to you. And we take into that context that he may hurt me too. I'll keep my distance, a safe distance. These are the things that harm, harm us. But here's what Jesus seems to think about friendship. Just on the basis of these few verses, he maintained perseverance of being with them. I mean, think about all the things that has happened that Jesus has done. You know what you don't read in the book of John or any other gospel for that matter? He doesn't sit the disciples down and say, let's review the last couple of years. He just keeps going with them. He doesn't say, I've proved this over and over and over and you're not getting it. His compassion is too great for them. Jesus perseveres. Jesus built intimacy with these guys. And I want to say that that way again on purpose. He built intimacy. Jesus created a scenario in which they were drawn nearer together. It started with him taking his robe off and putting on an apron, grabbing a bowl of water. He created a moment with them that would bring them close. That's what we learn about friendship from Jesus. He's willing to do that. And then the last thing, the most obvious thing is here in uh, verse 15, that he let them know what's going on. He even went so far as to tell them, I have let you know everything that the Father has revealed to me. That's the kind of friend Jesus actually is. <clears throat> I know if you want to be uh, too critical of the, the context um, of John, this is, this is Jesus being friends with the apostles. And on one hand, you could rightly say, this isn't about us. This is, this is about his friendship with them. <clears throat> but what we learn um, through the life of these friends of Jesus is that he asked them to go out and do for others what he had done for them, thereby extending these relationships. And this comes to us, and we have to own this responsibility to be a friend to Jesus the way they were. We have that opportunity, and then to share that with other people. There are things that we can know and that we can do um, because of Jesus' friendship. 
And my suspicion is none of these will come as a surprise to you. But one of the things Jesus did with these guys was he spent a lot of time with them. And so let me ask you, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus himself, do you spend a lot of time with him? When it comes to the relationship of the people in your life that you want to have impact in and help, do you spend a lot of time with them? Years ago, a man named Steve Farrar wrote a book called Point Man, which I would recommend to any male in the room. And one of the things that he makes in the context of of a relationship between a father and a son is that you have to bank on quantity time because you don't get to pick quality. You just have to be present for when quality shows up. And the only way to guarantee an opportunity for that is to bank on quantity time. Jesus spent all his time with these guys. The context of their relationship is this long three-year history of crazy things that have happened. And all along the way, they didn't get it. The point wasn't that they didn't get it. The point was quantity. And here in a moment, in the upper room, quality shows up. And Jesus gets their attention. We can do that. We can invest in people around us. We can invest in our own relationship with with God by choosing quantity. And here's what that's going to have to mean. You have to say no to other things. And if your life is anything like mine, that's a daily struggle. We are daily invited to be busy. And we have to slow down. We also need to own the the, uh, calling of good works. We didn't read it, but a couple, couple verses later, Jesus is going to tell them, I called you, I picked you, so that you might bear fruit. You might have good works. This is the same idea as we find in Ephesians 2.10. You, you, are, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We need to own that responsibility, that that's, the, that's what we should do as a friend. Our responsibility as a friend of God, as a friend to other people, is to be committed to good works. I, I like to use uh, example, this, this one particular example. It works for so much. Um, of when we, lived, when we lived in another town, we were a couple of blocks from a park, um, which was super rare because we were living in the desert. It was exactly like the desert that the... Uh, that the that God's people got stuck in for 40 years. So when I showed, when, like when we found out there's a park two blocks away, it was such an answer to prayer. Um, and I would take my kids there. We would walk down the street um, to let them go play. Um, and there were things that I wanted in that. As, as the dad, I wa- what I wanted for them is an opportunity for them to have fun, to interact with other people. Now, this never happened because um, my kids are much too well behaved for anything like this but imagine me taking my kids to the park and uh blaine saying hey dad what you want me to do i don't care buddy get on the slide get on they don't have merry-go-rounds anymore do they get on the merry-go-round get under the merry-go-round that's really fun do whatever you want to you know he's not going to do that as soon as we get there he's gone He doesn't need my help deciding what to do. But say he was just, all he was doing was being mean to other kids. And then he comes and says, hey, dad, what do you want me to do? Well, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to be mean to that kid. I don't want you to hit her. I don't want you to ignore that one. That little one that keeps following you around because he thinks you're cool and wants to do the stuff that you're doing, I want you to stop ignoring him. These are good works. See, the, the last thing that we need to own is that we know what's going on. We've been included in God's will. And we spend a lot of time wanting to know what God wants us to do, but we're not doing the good works. Is that true of you? Do you come to God wanting to know, should I buy this house? Should I take that job? What do you want me to do here? What's the wise move? And maybe God's saying, you know what? I'd like for you to stop ignoring your neighbor. 
I'd like for you to be kind to your coworker. You know, the one that sucks the soul out of you. I'd like you to be kind to him. We were created for good works. We should own that because we can do it. That's a choice that you have to make. I got into a rut that I'm I'm probably never going to get out of with my kids where I say that phrase to them, you can choose this. You can choose your attitude. You can choose how you treat other people. On my good days, I don't want to get out of that rut because I want to be that way too. On my bad days, I want to say, don't do what dad does. Do what dad says. But we're created for good works. We're supposed to do them. Another thing that we can, that we can know and we need to own, um, as, I sa- as I mentioned earlier, is that we know God's will. I have this quote book I keep. Uh, it's on my phone, so I guess it's not a book. Um, but I have this list of quotes that people around me say that I don't want to forget. Um, And they're not famous people. They're normal people that say things that resonate in my life, um, and I don't want to let go of them. So so the one I'm going to share with you now actually comes from Dave, who's normally teaching us on Sunday morning. And he said this, most of us know a lot more about God's will than we're really willing to obey. I know, that hurts, right? That's why I wrote it down. Because I figured a good day would come when I actually liked hearing that. Most of us know a lot more about God's will than we're really willing to obey. And we do, right? It's not going to take me very long to rattle off some verses that you've heard before. Like from 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks always. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Or the chapter before that where he says, stay away from sexual immorality. This is God's will. Or when first Peter, Peter, the Peter that we laugh about, Peter says, do good works. Or when we're struggling with what to do about shelter, about food, what job do we take? Where do we live? Jesus himself was the one that said, seek first the kingdom and all that stuff will be taken care of. We know a lot about God's will. And we should own the responsibility to do the things that we know. Because like the disciples, the friends that Jesus is pointing at, he has let us know everything that God has revealed to him. We know a lot. I want to end with an example um, of following God's will that I think changed a whole lot of my thinking. Um, And it it wasn't me involved. It was actually my parents. Um, And so uh, before I tell you this story, I'll tell you my parents are here. They're introverts, and they would love for you to come and talk to them about this story after after the service is over. Um, If you can't find them by me and dad look a lot alike, I'll point them out to you. But a long time ago, my parents live in this house right next to somebody else where they've got an open carport and a freezer sitting out in that carport full of food. And they find out one day that somebody's been opening that freezer up and taking food out of it. So my dad, uh, if, uh, if he were in the Marvel universe, he would be super redneck finds some uh, redneck cameras and sets redneck cameras up around to catch this guy um, who happens to be the neighbor coming over and sneaking food out of the freezer. So they struggle to figure out what they need to do and contact the, uh, the authorities, and the authorities tell them, hey, this guy, uh, you don't want this guy upset with you, and we can't do anything about this. This isn't breaking and entering. If we, if we go to him for it, we're going we're gonna to bring him down here and have to release him. And then you're not going to just have a neighbor that's stealing from you. You're going to have a neighbor that's stealing from you and is mad at you. This was a guy I went to high school with. A guy that was eyeballs deep in choosing death in life. 
So dad calls a bunch of his friends and he says, hey, what do you guys think we need to do? Um, I'm in this dilemma and um, like, I like, I like making fun of being a part of a redneck family because you get all of the answers that you could probably predict. You know what, I'd set up some traps. Um, we need to, you know, you, what you need to do is get a bunch of ammo and get your firearms ready and you need to prepare for war against this guy. But then there's a, a really odd, odd guy that dad's friends with who says, you know, I don't know what you need to do, but I seem to remember the Bible saying things like, if anybody sues you for your cloak, then just give them your tunic also. If anybody takes from you, don't expect anything from in return. This guy, all he was taking was groceries from the freezer. So you know what they did? They bought a bunch of groceries and they walked over there and gave them to him. You know what they learned? This guy was ready to end his own life. He hated where he was, didn't know how to get out. We can mistake moments in our life for inconvenience when if we would just employ the little bit that we do know about God's will, we might find amazing things out. This guy's name is Kent. Kent, believe, Kent became a believer. And now I've got this dude that I went to high school with that is friends with my dad. And that's weird. All because of an innocent move and this is what the Bible says, maybe I ought to just act on it. We are the friends of God. We know a lot about him. Our lives should reflect us taking risks to just do what we know to be true. That's what Jesus wanted his friends to do. He wanted them to know this stuff. He wanted them to know that it's not going to be easy. He wanted them to know that they were loved. He wanted them to know that he expected them to love others also. We live in a world that is, that is telling us the noble thing to do is to take care of yourself, to ensure safety and security for the people that you love and the friends that you choose. Jesus, friendship with Jesus means that we have to step out of that lie. That's not the way Aslan is. Aslan loved everybody. Jesus came for the world, not for the ones I pick. He came for the ones he picked, and that's all of us. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for our time in your word. Thanks for the truth that you give us and who Jesus is revealed to be. Father, I pray that you would set our hearts on truth, truth that we can see from your word. I pray that you would give us the courage to step out um, as your friends and do the will that you have revealed to us. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to discern how to rightly behave in life. And I pray that you would give us the opportunity to mess up and learn from it, knowing full well um, that like Peter, we can mess up and you still call us. You still want us to pursue you, to love others, to draw people to you. Father, thank you for being a friend to us for allowing us to know what's going on, for allowing us to know about the things that you care about. Make us like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.
being here this morning. Have a good week.